0: It's the occult mystery podcast, where we talk about the mysteries hidden behind Mickey.
1: Welcome to the Occult Disney Podcast, where we look into all the mysteries hidden behind the magic of the mouse. Yet another way to say it. I'm going to see if I can hit a different way each week. This is Matt here. As always, joining me is Thomas, the Paranoid American. That's right, the Paranoid American. Still paranoid. What's behind you? What's behind you? This right here. Oh, you could say that too. That—that's one of your comics, is it? No, I was just what trying I... to get you paranoid about what could be on oh. uh, behind you. <laughs> oh, <what? laughs> I mean, that's cool too. No, um, honestly,
2: I, I'm in Florida and I'm and I'm well protected, so uh, I don't feel as paranoid at, at home. I just it's more of a general feeling.
1: Okay, well, you get all those wacky news reports that make you feel paranoid about uh, Florida. You know,
2: <laughs> I feel okay. like I'm here to just be trial by fire. You know what I mean? <laughs>
1: Yeah, yeah, that's that's cool. Um one one note we kind of skipped over. We got too excited about Robin Hood and skipped over the auristic cats. So we'll get to that next time. Uh I understand, that is that did come out before Robin Hood, which is today's flick. But uh did we did this destroy? Your I'm okay with that. I'm okay anyway? that we skipped it temporarily. We'll, we'll go back to it. Yeah, we'll go back to it. So if, if anyone needs like, you know, like complete like fascist order to the podcast, this I guess this is the wrong one then. <laughs> but uh so so how is it do we did you ruin your childhood getting back to this one i didn't and i'm happy
2: to say this is now the the crown champion and i don't see anything knocking this one off the throne to be honest
1: okay that's cool the only thing i could find negative at all was uh can you watch it watch it (laughs) yeah ken anderson the animator um who did it wanted to add all the hillbilly stuff because he was like oh we enjoyed working on saga the south so much and all the animators really enjoyed working on it and he kind of wanted to do that again and i guess you know they were smart enough to like temper him a little bit maybe on that so Mm -hmm. (laughs) yeah i've I've actually got a note in here that's something
2: like good job disney You've managed to make sort of a a vulture that wasn't an absolute racist because i think everyone was probably expecting that but they just (laughs) replaced Basically, anyone with color with hillbillies. So I don't know if that's better or worse. I'm sure it's a little bit better, but it's not a lot better.
1: Yeah. Well, there was something in the that early '70s era, I guess, because this is about the same time the Country Bears open up at Disney World and uh, Hee Haw is on the air. So there is this like weird like love of hillbilly stuff, I guess. And this is at the tail
2: end of like Howdy
1: Doody, too, right? I, I think it's notably after that, but yeah, you know, like. Maybe like if I had been watching Howdy Doody as a kid, I'm now having my own kids, so there could certainly be a connection. How you know? so I still now... like
2: westerns today. So I mean, I don't know. It's like a it's a timeless story. I think.
1: Yeah, I, I, I've been saying more and more. I think I like my westerns black and white. <laughs> when when they're in color, there everything's just brown. I don't like that. So might as well just be black and white. <laughs> <laughs> i like those ones from the 30s where you, I mean, you can watch them all on youtube now and they're they're never longer in an hour so that's kind of nice um it is nice I, i've becoming to appreciate
2: that more and more as we do a lot of these my eyeball inevitably drifts to how long is this movie going to be and then i'll see and, uh, okay okay but every <laughs> once in a while you look and you're like oh my god there's no way this thing's two and a half hours <laughs>
1: <laughs> hello mary poppins yes yeah <laughs> But yeah, yeah, we're back to those those nice uh shorter ones here. And I i wondered if the the musical um I gotta look up his name again because I like George Miller's not right, is it? He's the filmmaker. Um there we go. Uh the the guy that does the theme song for this. Oh I'll, I'll find it. Yeah, I, I looked it all up, but I don't actually have all the
2: names written down in my notes.
1: Yeah, story by by music by George Bruns. Okay, that's that's the normal music in it. Um Voice, cast, production. Oh my, that's just so many things on this article that I that I did read, but there we go. Oh, Roger Miller. Good. I want to say George Miller, who did, um, you know, like Mad Max, and I knew that was wrong. So um, Roger Miller was a, a notable country guy, and I wondered if part of the overlay was also that, but I guess it's Anderson wanted to have that overlay, and then they just hired the, uh, you know, a king of country music. So... <laughs> And I, and I think it's fitting. I mean, there's, there's so many deep connections in this
2: movie that, that I found. And this one, I think country is so appropriate because even if you look at the very opening scene, they've got this rooster as the troubadour, essentially. And the origins of Robin Hood and the stories that Robin Hood are based on. And this movie in particular wasn't originally based on Robin Hood. It was based on a different story. And then they had to readapt it into Robin Hood. But all of those Robin Hood and that original story were both basically passed down orally through song and ballads. So the fact that they've got this rooster uh, singing and the fact that everyone's like a country music star and the whole, you know, the whole cast, they're all country music singers. I think it's extremely appropriate because that seems like the closest thing that Disney would have accessed in the 1960s or 70s, you know, as a company. That would relate to sort of what those old, you know, middle-aged troubadours would have been doing.
1: Yeah, this setting's a little too early, of course, for anything New World. But I was starting to think, oh, debtors prison. These are the people that would, uh, you know, get shipped off to America. <laughs> who? Who were... I mean, you know, people in debtors prisons, they'd be like, instead of languishing in prison, it'd be like, oh, you're going to go be an indentured servant for the company in the, in the new world. But that would be a few <laughs> hundred years after Robin Hood, but I would just Disney would have liked that though. I'm sure. Yeah, yeah. No, I was just trying to make the connection like, you know, like, oh, and then some of those people would have ended up in like, you know, Kentucky or something and playing these songs. And yeah, it, it, <laughs> I'm, I'm stretching the taffy a little bit, but, uh, <laughs> I, I yeah, I'm thinking of was a musical connection because, um the song and oh sorry i'm actually thinking of a twilight zone episode um, <laughs> but yeah that just happens the style, the style of every music. once in a while
2: dimensions will clash
1: well okay it's worth bringing up because right after this i'm doing a podcast on an episode of the twilight zone which features a song called a uh, black is the color of my true love's hair which is you know scottish by way of appalachia so <laughs> i love that. that 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 was on my mind so you know these the songs theoretically some of these people might end up going to america ending up in the hills and writing bluegrass so you know like the roosters uh descendants I mean, or something.
2: I don't I don't disagree with that at all I think yeah, and there's also like a narco corrido uh equivalent there too which which maybe that originally came from the same kind of story you know telling through music cuz there's something to it i mean disney's got a nice little niche carved out for themselves for also telling stories through music and making it more memorable to the fact that little kids can sing it and sing along and and grow fond of it, just because, you know, almost like that MK Ultra Doctor Ewan Cameron psychic driving, you know that that kid singing the same Disney song over and over in the back of the van, uh, I mean that it, it does something to you. So yeah, I, and I think that that's kind of a good representation of this movie, a good representation of Disney in general, and Robin Hood, ironically, and the the original story, which, um. Man, I don't have all the 100% of the notes, but essentially, the main character, the original Disney movie, even, was supposed to be after Reynard the Fox. And Reynard the Fox was this like little trickster, kind of like little devilish fox character that represented the poor. And he fought against this wolf called, um like, urine Grimace or urine Grim and that wolf was representative of greed and i think it was supposed to be a nod to sort of like the catholic monks so the wolf was this greedy catholic monk ironically which they flip a little bit in the in the animation and then reynard was this trickster cunning guy that represented the poor as the fox and then you know unfortunately uh, germany uh during the second world war they sort of co-opted reynard <laughs> and put him in a whole bunch of movies and i think that combined with it not being as i guess memorable of a specific tale uh it kind of persuaded i think disney to abandon the original story and then they went off and made sword in the stone instead and then they came back to it but it got rewritten as robin hood but they kept the main character of you know robin d and the fox based on reynard and they also kept um the sheriff as the original wolf character.
1: Yeah, it's going to say that comes through. Um, I saw something about like, oh, maybe that's why they say we had trouble making Reynard into a hero. I was like, well, he's doing the Robin Hood thing. I, I yeah, saw that was...
2: and I was thinking, and then I found that, I mean, it wasn't just like one or two movies. You know, the like the Reich had co-opted that character and put him on books and multiple movies and animations and it went on for a while. So it, it wasn't just like they did one thing with him.
1: Kind of like like how you just you probably wouldn't want to put out the movie World War Z like at the moment. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> it would read a little weird. I'm not even sure how it would read weird. It just would. Um, Robin Hood is the property that I guess Disney has not did not put a complete stamp on. I mean, you think of Pinocchio. There's many versions of Pinocchio, but you're going to think of Disney's Pinocchio first. Same with like Snow White. Robin Hood. This I mean, this this. The the fox comes into mind within five seconds, but is it has to compete with you know Errol Flynn, or and, uh, unfortunately Kevin Costner pops up in my head whenever I hear Robin Hood. So there's just so and Robin many- Hood Men
2: in Tights, which was one of Dave Chappelle's first uh, entries.
1: Exactly. So I've, this is one that they didn't. Uh, the movie's quite good, but they didn't quite own the property like they did some other uh, long-standing tales. <laughs>
2: I mean, even honestly, I think the Kevin Costner movie uh, might have taken more ownership over the, that Robin Hood, but I again, this kind of is a nod back to it wasn't originally Robin Hood. It was supposed to be Reynard versus the Fox, or Reynard versus the Wolf.
1: They did, Nicola, the uh, design, so, uh, like Maid Marian's wearing the exact same thing as the 1939 uh, Robin Hood with Errol Flynn. You know, the Fox costume's pretty close to Errol Flynn's costume, so serious echoes that one which would have yeah i
2: mean visually up absolutely but i think that there was another twist here kind of like when we did jungle book right disney tells everyone don't read the original don't watch any of the originals (laughs) like just read my script and read what we want to do with this and it's going to be called the jungle book and it's going to have the characters but you know ignore anything you've ever heard about this so i think there might have been it feels like it comes across a little bit as you know, forget everything you know about Robin Hood. Here's some of the beats of the story, because it doesn't really go super deep into a lot of the the actual Robin Hood background, which had a lot more to do with archery than just one little competition.
1: Oh yeah, because there's a what the Russell Crowe one, which is like, what what's happening, huh? <laughs> <laughs> that one's probably
2: the the most forgettable out of all the ones I've seen.
1: Yeah, yeah, but uh, that I mean, it, he go he has to go through the Crusades in the first hour. Of that is it, like it, you know, they definitely. Refocus the story on that one, but maybe to the detriment, right? Because you, I don't know, I guess we all just went like a little swashbuckle with our our modern Robin Hoods now. <laughs> well, and honestly, that's man, it's
2: such a cool aspect of the Robin Hood story in general. Because if you look at it through time, like over time, and especially if you look at it as it itself related to that Reynard story in, in some very looser ways um than what Disney put together, but both of those evolve over time to where like Robin Hood in particular it started off mostly about archery and fighting and sort of like prevailing uh, with like the underdog. And then over like over 300 years or something, as it gets into the age of chivalry, then all of a sudden there's the the vixen and the, the maid, you know, Marion that you have to to save. And that whole romantic aspect, which didn't exist in the first couple hundred years of the story, but because that became the popular narrative of that particular time period, it took those attributes on. So it's it's going to keep essentially doing that over time i don't think that russell crowe got to put his stamp on that one but but for example disney plus men in tights plus the kevin costner one that represents just as much of you know um exploding barrels and just like crazy over the top visuals that represents it just as much as when they added the romantic aspect and i think like the 1400s or something
1: yeah yeah exactly yeah this is one that at least you can date you know because uh Merlin and and King Arthur no, it's really hard to figure out exactly when that's supposed to be. It's like you know multiple centuries or here. okay, it's right smack in, um I forget which crusade, but it, it you know corresponds directly to a time and place, which you know at least helps ground it a little bit. So why not turn them all into animals now? <laughs> well and the, and the whole everyone being an animal fits
2: way more into that original Reynard story.
1: Yeah, I that makes sense cuz I'm sitting here thinking is this like some kind of like weird animal farm thought process. But yeah, I guess it would be more of the uh this was going to be a fox movie. Yeah, so uh, so the original
2: thinking. cast um which you'll recognize some of the characters, but this is from the the original story of Reynard of the 11 roughly the 1100s, but it was passed orally, so it's hard to trace back to the exact date or person, but they had Reynard the Fox, they had Eisengrim the Wolf. They had a cat they had the the king noble the lion which again is they they translated that directly over they had Bruin the bear grimber the badger they had baldwin the ass a she-wolf uh a hare, a cock a ram and an ape and i this was a, f- a fun little note is that the ape in the stories ha- uh, had a son named monarchy and there's speculation that that might actually be where the English word monkey came from was the, the name of the sun in this
1: particular story. Oh, okay. That's wild. Um, something else we should probably mention, you know, obviously there was thoughts of this in the forties and the fifties, but we are pretty much, you know, I, I guess card Walker is now calling the shots at the, at the company. So we can no longer really ascribe, Disney the dude with uh, what's happening in these films uh, Correct, at this yeah. point. So <laughs> just, to, just to make sure that people don't think we're like, oh yeah, Disney did this. Did, did, we are now like the company. Disney did this. So yeah, Disney's officially checked out um, in, in a few
2: different ways at this point, at least from the movie aspect. <laughs>
1: And from the
2: life aspect, yeah, um, but well, de- depending on how, how much you believe, right? <laughs>
1: oh, okay. Oh, we, we got the head is giving commands. You got the
2: head. You got the clones. You got also. You got you know maybe he transferred an AI. Who knows, man?
1: The clones protect the head. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> they're the guards.
2: <laughs> what a great! I mean, what a great system, though.
1: <laughs> that there is something for one of your comic books: a Disney's head surrounded by clone Disney guards. <laughs> um. One scene that really stuck out. I don't out to want me, that I, smoke. I don't want that smoke from <laughs> Disney. <laughs> um one scene that really stuck out to me this time is early on with Robin is saving not saving, but uh kind of getting this this sheriff out of, of the, the rabbit's hair. The rabbits hair. Wow, that's that's like the worst pun ever, which wasn't intentional. But um <clears throat> yeah. I was just thinking, you know, we got Zootopia a few years ago where they make it clear, yeah, the, the foxes would eat the rabbits, you know? <laughs> So. I mean
2: that might happen here because again he's a trickster, so who knows? You know how tricky he gets after the movie ends, which does yeah, yeah. come to an abrupt end. So,
1: yeah, the ending. I was like, "What is this over? What happened?" We'll get. We'll get there. <clears throat> I I know this one had some budget cuts too. Like this is the one most notorious for reusing animations and. Uh... You know what? I'm fine with every single frame of it.
2: In this particular movie, they—I think—they made the greatest movie they could have with the resources they did. And yeah, like I'm—I'm I'm almost like a Robin Hood apologist just because it didn't—it didn't, it didn't reveal any horrible backstories that ruined it for me. But also, this legitimately is the one that I had on play the most often as a kid. Like this one probably got worn out, and we probably even had to replace it or copy—you know—make a couple copies of it.
1: Yeah, I had, a, I had a daughter, so th- this got played. I mean, this got played once or twice when she was a kid. But um, it was, I guess, she's still kind of a kid. But when she was a kid, watching lots of Disney movies, um, she wanted to watch the the, the stupid Tinkerbell movies. No, she wanted to watch some good ones too, but Robin <laughs> Hood was not was not one of them. But for this vibe, yeah, she wanted like the pirate fairy or something. So, <laughs> did Which you see is, this one at all when you were younger? I saw it once or twice. Yeah, um, this this was the first one they put out on video 1984 that you know they were like had their oh we got our disney vault they only come out every seven years theatrically and uh this was the first one where they were like maybe we should try putting this out for a sale that's probably why this was the one that i had the uh the most often
2: you know in the vcr
1: that that's kind of my point because this was the one you could easily access so it would have been it would have done quite well at the time you know because uh, they didn't put it, start putting out their like really good stuff on uh, home media until what the mid '90s or something. Basically, I mean, to me, this is the good stuff, man. Like this is, this is far
2: better than any of the Little Mermaid, Beauty and the Beast, Lion King. Well, I'm all talking of that. The, this. I'm, this one's I'm talking above the, all
1: that. Yeah, I'm talking the populist stuff, right? Like, as far as like how much money does Disney still make off of it? This isn't at the top of the list, right? Yeah, no, it's a maybe it should point. be, maybe it should be, but it's it's not. <laughs> it should
2: in a perfect world. <laughs> in a perfect world, this should be it. Yeah, um, and I understand how controversial that is because of the reuse and because of some of the shortcuts. But man, like symbolically and just in general, this seems to be the superior movie out of almost any ones that we've seen so far.
1: It's definitely fun to watch. There isn't a song in here where I'm just like, oh God. Although there was um what it was was a snarky note in there. Um when, when Marion is singing. Oh yeah, I was just like listen, on the train listening, uh, watching a movie, and you're all grown up inside of me. I'm like, Well, that's a little intense for a song <laughs> <Okay>. lyric there. <laughs> it's like, does that have an audited meaning that I'm not aware of? Because all I can work out is a dirty one. <laughs> Oh awesome. oh I, since I was I do have the DVD sitting right here I just uh, ended up watching on the train and I, I when I was watching the archive.com.org video or whatever it was one of the tags on it was furry <laughs> I mean they're not wrong man
2: I mean they even they even say it right in the opening credits they say that made Marion's a vixen
1: yeah yeah so yeah that that was on the archive.org um tag list there <clears throat> I assume I mean I'm surprised that
2: she hasn't gotten more popular in the furry community. Maybe we can start making that happen somehow. Well,
1: you haven't been haven't, have you been to the conventions? That could be like you know, is, that could is be a made Marion or... a big hit? I don't know. I <laughs> have been to the conventions.
3: <laughs> <laughs> you said it like you
2: said it like you have it, I haven't.
1: Well, uh, actually in Japan, um, you know, there is a, like if you go to Disneyland, Tokyo Disneyland, you will have guys, dudes walking around like, you know, full Full-on Winnie the Pooh suits. That, I mean, sold. Like, like, when, what, I'm, I'm booking my ticket now. Yeah, I mean, not not like the Disney one with the big like you can't see mask. Like, you can see their face. It's, it's like a hoodie, right? Um, I remember when I first moved to Japan and I, I got into the elevator of a department store with. Um, a young lady in a full Pikachu suit for no reason. So that was exciting. (laughs) So, uh, you know, maybe Japan itself is the convention. I don't know. Now, were they live streaming or was
2: this just to exist in a Pikachu costume?
1: This was 2004. This was just to exist. Okay. (laughs) I like it. I like that a lot, actually. Yeah, sure. Why not? (laughs) Um, You say you have a, a lot of little connections and notes. Should we start diving into those a bit? Uh, well, I mean, I I just wanna to filate
2: this movie just a little bit more because <laughs> yeah. I even saw that you had a a note in here, um, that was like this is probably one of the best intros out of any of the Disney movies so far, and that was one of the the same notes that I made. Not just that. It was. It was it had this cool, like oh, almost like an 80s sitcom intro, or like a 70s sitcom. The way they would like do the close-in of everyone's face, and then say, you know, the character's name as Robin Hood, and then like who voiced the person. So it was like, you know, A as B as C. But man, I I love that they actually show you every single character, uh, or at least one of them, almost like the sprite sheets of each one marching by. It's such a cool. Such a cool intro! Like there was no reason to skip any of it. The song is like one of the coolest songs. It's just kind of just a bunch of like folksy like verbalizations and w- without any sort of words and whistlings. Uh, so I don't know. I just I love the intro to this movie so much. I can't talk enough about it.
1: I read the. It felt like the Dukes of Sherwood was getting a good start, right? The Dukes <laughs> of Sherwood. Yeah, like like that. <laughs> Although I slightly com- uh, confused myself with my own note because um, just last night I had listening as I was going to sleep was the Duke's of stratosphere CDs I was like is that a, is that a reference to that no no it's not um yeah no but you're you're
2: syncing up with the universe is what it means though
1: yeah so yeah one of those times that uh yeah all the and then it was syn-
2: 11 11 you looked at your clock and it was exactly 11 11.
1: oh I had a good 11 11 look oh watching this movie on the train I had an a 11, 11 really? spotting yeah. yeah yeah so there it, it all ties in <laughs> and and
2: this one too man since Again, it was the one that I watched the most. This probably was my first introduction to so many deeper conspiratorial topics that took hold that I didn't even realize until taking these notes re-watching it the other day. So like the snake hypnosis, the even trying to hypnotize the king, that was my first mind control exposure as a kid. And I saw it so many times. But that's kind of how I imagine mind control all works. You just got a soothsayer. They do little spiral eyes at you, and then all of a sudden you're under the spell. So I don't know. That one took a deep hold in me, and I think that represents why I'm so fascinated with mind
1: control topics. It's yeah, probably it's, this movie and and Sir His. The, the snake is. Uh, sir hiss there you guys because i was about to say Kyle again but uh yeah that's our, our rasputin here basically right even to the point where the king kind of seems like he wants to try and kill him a few times
2: <laughs> rasputin and i also have like littlefoot uh from game of thrones in here a nice little aspect of that too where he's he's sort of like the advisor but you know he's like a sneaky one
1: yeah yeah so uh-huh. So again, it's like my first
2: exposure to cross-dressing because, you know, um, Robin and Little John, they end up uh, dressing up as like two voluptuous women and he puts on like thick makeup and everything. So, I mean, honestly, you might see you might see some uh, like cross-dressing Robin at some of these very conventions, too. That would be a nice change.
1: Yeah, but he's no cross-dressing Bugs Bunny. (laughs) Isn't that just the the (laughs) rabbit from Space Jam, though? I guess well, I'm in the '40s, you know. in the Warner Brother cartoons—they'd always have a uh, Bugs Bunny show up <laughs> yeah, to, yeah, to seduce Elmer FUD, right? That's what—that's—that's that's the one I want to do. So, sorry, Disney doesn't get in my franchise for that. Um, <laughs> but yeah, yeah, it, it, like honestly, it doesn't bug me that we basically have half the same designs from the Jungle Book. Because like, well, I liked them in the Jungle Book. Why shouldn't I like them here? It's like seeing the same actor in a different movie, you know. Which that's a great, yeah, that's a great way to look at it. I mean, if you saw Jack Nicholson in another movie, you can you can accept that, right? Why not Ka the Snake as uh, Sir Hiss now? That makes sense. Um. <laughs> I
2: liked it, man. And then he also... It's the first um, glimpse I think I got at fortune-telling, maybe. Uh, I don't know. This one might have been neck and neck with Pee-wee's Playhouse because they had the little genie in the closet or in the little, like, armor or whatever. Um, so that, I think that one might have also yeah. kind of counted as a fortune teller but so just so many firsts to me these are big firsts you know what i mean as a little kid learning
1: about all this stuff through the the
2: one single movie
1: what's the other disguise we have oh yeah his his bird disguise is is truly bizarre and interesting not quite muppet man maybe maybe muppet man is my convention um costume do you know him, muppet man
2: i don't know muppet man do you know the muppet man the muppet ah. man <laughs> The I, do. Man.
1: I do um, in, 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 the, in, the, in the Jason Seagal Muppet movie Miss Piggy is now like the editor of Vogue Paris so they can't just go in her office it's like we need a disguise let's do Muppet Man where it's basically they have five Muppets in an overcoat like trying to walk in and <laughs> <laughs> it's like you know they're completely uncoordinated it's oh fantastic so yeah yeah look up Muppet Man if you don't know Muppet Man I, I'll, you sing a song along if you want that's fine I was thinking it's it's an animation. It's whimsical and fun, but I was like, man, if I saw a flying snake in a in a happy balloon, I would I would flip out. That was one of my
2: favorite visuals in this movie too, man. That one just took such a hold on me. Where he basically is like chewing gum or something, and he blows a little bubble because it's like a pink bubble, and then he uses a little tail and he spins it around like a little propeller, like he's in the like a Jetson mobile almost. It's I don't know. I love that that scene so much. But also I was thinking, man, so we've got these these little like um observers in the sky, like like the, the king's camera up in the sky. This is almost like like a surveillance system that they were hinting at.
1: I guess they do gloss over family trees and stuff, because um Marion of Fox is the niece of a lion. <laughs> How
0: does it that works.
2: work? It works. Don't question it.
1: If you go to one of those conventions,
2: I'm sure they've got a special panel that explains it all. (laughs) Lots of illustrations and stuff. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) Oh, (laughs) good. Lots of (laughs) illustrations. (laughs) Yeah. Um, There's also a a magical incantation in this movie, um, but the the incantation it's also like an oath. Uh, and it's like the coolest thing ever. It's spiders, snakes, and lizards' heads. If I tattletale, I'll die till I'm dead. Which is also kind of a really cool way of saying, like, don't snitch.
1: It is. I'm like, aren't, aren't we all dying till we're dead, though? I mean, that's just, that's just life, man. <laughs> I I guess so. I guess it's it's not as threatening
2: if you look at it that way. Yeah, when you think about
1: for a second and give it some nice nullism you know, it's like, well, it's just making the oath doesn't really mean much at all. So yeah,
2: it's just breathing oxygen and letting your insides oxidize. Right?
1: Sounds good though. Yeah.
2: And and at that same point is when they're they're basically saying we're going to go and sneak into uh this garden cuz they accidentally shoot the arrow through. And I know it's cartoon logic, but I just had to wonder like what's the point of any of these gates because they can just like when Maid Marian's like, "Oh, come in." They just walk right through the gate. They just slip right through it. And it seems like almost any animal except for maybe the rhinos in this entire world could just slip through these gates. But cartoon yeah. logic, right? It's I mean, it's that's why, that's
1: why. Maybe well, have less security back back in the day, you know. Didn't have to worry <laughs> about it as much, yeah. <laughs> uh let's see what what else do you have rolling I uh Uh, the rigged archery
2: contest
1: was probably my first
2: exposure to like government corruption you know what i mean like (laughs) where they they stage the whole thing the guy like already knows that he's gonna win but he still gets beat in in the end of it but uh yeah i mean just imagine is like i don't know like a five or six year old that's like oh i understand like those guys are in power and they're running the competition so they can make it, even if you're the good guy, you can lose the comp, you know what I mean? Like, I feel like that probably molded me in in ways that no one expected.
1: Yeah. Uh, Another thing that came to mind is, uh, well, at first I was like, uh, you can't tax the church, but he kind of does anyway. I mean, yeah, the weird setting for the church in this one, because one, he's no longer one of the merry men, right? Prior Tuck is now he's got his own little parish, which seems right. to be the haven from the the mean sheriff until it's not so yeah i mean i think that you may might assume that in
2: the story but they never actually say that it's any kind of a haven so when the sheriff shows up you kind of already know exactly what's going to happen it's kind of a heartbreaking scene too though as a, as a kid <laughs> where they're like come and they steal this little mouse's very last coin that she was like hiding under her tiny little bed <laughs>
1: Yeah, I do find the sheriff interesting here because usually we get you know very fearsome sheriffs uh in the 39 movie, you know, he's pretty intense. Uh, uh Robin Hoodman and Tights, we get a nice intense sheriff, right? <laughs> here, yeah, that's right. Here here he's just you know kind of goofy. I I I said I I guess I wrote he's like a proto Bill Clinton. <laughs> bill oh, <laughs> bill clinton, bill
2: clinton? Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> i mean yeah uh all they're missing is a little red riding hood or a few little red riding hoods
1: the thing is what after i i, I made that note pretty early on so i i watched the rest of the movies basically got the right voice <laughs> <laughs> and a little bit of the build yeah yeah a little bit of the build, the build yeah <laughs> um so anyway that that had me kind of like yeah, giggling a little bit watching this. A, a good joke that obviously was not baked into the original. Although I guess you already have like, you know, like um, shady uh, southern politicians and all that. So it's it's not. Well, too- and he
2: goes right to killing somebody like that's the first that's his first solution to, to fix a problem is he just going <laughs> to kill somebody. So that's another thing that I think he's got in line with the Clintons.
1: Yeah. So that I wonder if that's kind of a, another thing that would like light a little bit of a fire under people though being like hey this guy like has the veneer of a of a nice dude but he's horrible <laughs> Does he come across nice? Oh, you mean are you talking about
2: Clinton again now, or or the sheriff? Well, well, the
1: nineties sh- Clinton, nineties <laughs> Clinton and sheriff. You know, nineties you Clinton playing saxophone on TV. All oh, yeah, stuff. on Animaniacs,
2: guy... of course, man. How could a bad guy ever be on the intro of Animaniacs?
1: Yeah, this guy just kind of ambles in. Hey, everyone, and then I'll take your money there. Thanks. Oh, it's all right. I'm just I'm just collecting my taxes. <laughs> yeah I mean but he does say that you know if you if you keep complaining
2: you're gonna preach yourself right into a hangman's noose and that's exactly what he does
1: oh yeah he gets intense in the end doesn't he but uh that's where the veneer is uh I I
2: guess it's kind of that's also a point of almost every Robin Hood adaptation I think I've ever seen too is where Robin Hood has to go and save the person that's about to get hung it doesn't it doesn't play out the exact same way in every single movie but like uh, it's it's kind of like this major plot point towards the very end of the axe,
1: right? Right. But I'm just talking as far as the characterization of the sheriff. He's uh, you know, just like that smiling face that's gonna, you know, has a knife behind his back, right? <laughs> yeah, he's just a go- big goof that's gonna kill you. So, uh, which is your favorite character design here, even if it's a reused one? <laughs> Uh, honestly, I think I just like the snake the most
2: is as, as far as the most obviously redesigned ones, but, uh, I'm a sucker for all the rabbits, the rabbits I really love, like the voices, everything. I don't know. It's yeah. really hard on this one. If, if I was, if I was into the furry world, I could see Robin and they Marion. but honestly, I think it's Sir His. I even got a little Sir Hiss, a uh, little Funko somewhere mm-hmm. behind me and I don't, I don't really collect Funkos, but I just happen to really like him.
1: I don't remember if it was in the form of Ka or Sir Hiss, but he was I felt like he was kind of the star of the not just the, the standout of the Mickey Mouse review, which opened with Disney World uh, or was shortly after. Is there in the 70s? They moved it to Tokyo Disney in the early 80s. So um, you probably didn't see this. And I think it's no, I don't know been, anything about this. It's now been changed to something else. But you go and you see a little pre-show movie, which had like the most 70s thing ever it was like uh, playing the Mickey Mouse Theme, uh, club theme, like the disco version with kids running up to Disneyland <laughs> yeah. World, whatever it was, kids and
2: incorporated, you, right? <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah, well, except more 70s, but yes, that kind of vibe. And then you go into the main room, which was a theater with something like 40 something animatronics, and it's just Mickey Mouse and all the Disney characters putting on the show. They have oh, some God, this is five
2: nights at Freddy's all over again,
1: it kind of is, but uh, uh, Ka or Sir His, I, I, I think it's in Ka format there, but um. He plays his since it's a Mickey Mouse review. There, a lot of them are playing instruments, and, and Ka plays his tail as a flute, which is fantastic. Okay, <laughs> like the animatronic Ka plays his tail as a flute. I thought you were gonna get, say a synthesizer. Oh, that'd be cool too, like a guitar. Yeah, no, nah, yeah. no, nah, it's, 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 it's it's yeah, it's got a flute there.
2: <laughs> uh, so I got another note that this was also probably my first exposure to Punch and Judy. Which we could probably do an entire episode on just the symbolism of, of Punch and Judy, but the two hands that are like hitting each other in the little puppet show.
1: Yeah, I teach kids that you occasionally have to do that, right? Well, I, I usually just um attack kids with the cookie monster, but yeah. <laughs> what does
2: that What does that mean? <laughs>
1: I have a full size cookie monster puppet, so I'll sometimes take into classes, and you know, just like, what's your favorite food? <laughs> and if they answer anything other than cookies, he'll get angry at them. <laughs> it's, it's, How angry are is... we talking, man? <laughs> oh, well, well, like um, I got the guy on my hand. I'm talking to kids. What's your favorite food? I'm like, uh, it, it's, their, it's their second language. They were thinking about it. Right. What to say. I'm like, okay, you know, pizza, sushi, cookies, you know, <laughs> ramen, <laughs> <we're good. laughs> cookies. So, yeah. <laughs> so i I'm, I'm traumatizing kids with the cookie monster but it is funny because some of the wills just start answering like the, the, if i have the cookie monster they would be like my favorite sport is cookie toss yeah <laughs> <laughs> like, did please I just don't like murder
2: me <laughs> yeah.
1: don't murder me cookie monster no saturday mornings i, I don't take out the cookie monster because i think there's a girl or like a six-year-old girl or two that are actually terrified of them so i have to leave them in the closet for on um, saturday mornings she refuses <laughs> to eat cookies anymore She's not into my class. They're just like, oh yeah, she gets freaked out when she sees a cookie monster around. <laughs> <laughs> I don't get that. So <laughs> but yeah, yeah. All cookie related answers. Your favorite fruit must be bread fruit, that sort of thing. Yeah. So I'm kind of doing my own horrible versions of mind control, I guess. <laughs> you have durian out there? Who? Durian? Durian fruit? Oh, oh yeah. Yeah. I'll often, I, you know, like the rule of the, the comedy rule of thirds, when I'm giving kids suggestions, the third one's usually a terrible suggestion. So I use durian a lot. They, okay. I didn't know, I didn't know about durians until I lived in Japan, actually. Really? Um, have you ever had one? I've had dried durian. That was fine. Cause it was dry and didn't smell like the end of the world. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> what I, this, the smells that get me regularly is, um, do you know natto?
2: I don't know natto. Who's natto?
1: These are fermented soybeans that uh, Japanese people like to eat for breakfast. Put it on rice or whatever, and it's super sticky. And it just smells like like five thousand dirty feet. Go <laughs> <It's>, on. <laughs> so like, <clears throat> like um. You know, it's like, please put it on the other side of the table because t- if you smell it and you're trying to eat it, you're like, no, no, thank you. Again, it's supposed to be very healthy for you. And then when, I, I, I'll, when I'm doing the dishes, I'll just let that one sit because the bowl, just washing it is nasty. It's so sticky and funky and weird. So <laughs> I don't, so yeah, natto is uh, not, there's like, some foreigners like make it a point of pride, like, I like natto, but I've never been able to cross that bridge. The other one that kind of gets me for smell wise is, um, dried fish on the table if someone's left a container open you get that dried fish smell not not my favorite so i don't know i'm getting you're the wrong place for it though aren't you like it's not isn't that one of like the main snacks yeah yeah it is (laughs) 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 so uh i have had inago which is locust uh with soy and sugar on it Oh yeah,
2: I mean you're you're ready for the new world order, then, man. The the I mean, me too. I've I've had uh what like barbecue and ranch. I've had cool ranch flavored crickets before, which weren't oh. too bad. And I actually fell in love with what they call either lemon ants or honey ants. Uh, they were actually so good that I I killed them and I wanted more. And not just <laughs> because I was trying to be funny about it. It was like mind blowing that you chew on these little things. They're almost like lemon flavored pop rocks.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. With the anago, is like the, the taste is fine, but why It's a bug? And and then the the um legs get stuck in your teeth, and that that makes you yeah. Unhappy.
2: The the same with the crickets, man. Every once in a while, you get like a mandible, and you like, it's like <laughs> it's not just a pepper flake; it's like an actual little thing with you know like feelies on it. I don't know. I get the same thing too. I do uh like have you ever had Lengua before, like cow tongue. Uh
1: oh, yeah, actually, that's a big you you can do that good in japan we have we have well, good culture
2: i i love it <laughs> but every once in a while if i'm eating it and like a little piece falls down or if, if it just hits the edge of my tongue just right and I can feel that I'm almost like licking another tongue because you can feel the taste buds, you know what I mean? Every once in a while, you get one of those, and it makes me shudder a little bit, but it's still great.
1: I haven't run across that in Japan. I guess maybe they they prepare it differently because it...
2: They might prepare. I mean, I'm talking Mexican restaurants, and like Uh, literally it's just a tongue that gets chopped up into little pieces.
1: Oh, no, this has been prepared and carved up and, yeah. put. Well, this has been prepared,
2: but it's just in a much different way.
1: Let me put it this way: I don't feel like I'm eating a tongue, even though it is a tongue. And um, this is usually like the Korean barbecue, so you're kind of cooking it yourself anyway. And yeah, I haven't I have had to feel like the taste bud on on my own tongue. Next
2: time, go and just say, just slice me off the layer of of the top. Just give me mm-hmm. all the taste buds.
1: No, the, the the most fun was at a company party about five years ago or something, uh, where we ate this fried stuff. I don't know what was that. And our, our Japanese boss was like, oh, that's whale sperm. Like, right? oh, it's sperm whale? We estate whale? No, no, no. Whale sperm, like fried yeah. whale sperm. <laughs> <laughs> one of our coworkers like, imagine that job. Yeah. Well, yeah. Well, how do they get that from the whale? And like, yeah.
2: <laughs> well, they kill the whale. <laughs> so I'm sure little... he'd be willingly giving that up, but they probably <laughs> use the rest of the whale, though.
1: Yeah, they use the rest of the whale, but uh, yeah, we are like, oh, well, I guess that's now the weirdest thing I've eaten. Okay. That or the locust, I'm not quite sure, which I, I should claim. I mean, if, if you <laughs> think about it, that might
2: actually be more sustainable as a long-term food source, as long as you don't kill the whale. <laughs> right? Because yeah. it, it, be, it has to be significant, it has to be filled with protein, and it feels like it would be absolutely renewable. And nobody mm-hmm. gets hurt in the process. <laughs> what's, right, it's the your, opposite.
1: What's your job? Uh, <clears throat> milk whales.
2: <laughs> but we could all do it, right? Like it, we could. If all... we all did it, then it wouldn't be weird for anybody.
1: <laughs> Especially, we'll all do it together. It won't be weird at all. <laughs>
3: yeah, <laughs> that's right. <laughs> sure, it it's just a nice, <laughs>
2: just normal to make eye contact. We'll form a big circle. I mean, you actually need like a full circle of people in order to pull it off. No.
1: Uh, no, no port off is supposed to be re- re- uh, <laughs> that's right. Sustainable. Hey, it needs to
2: be renewable.
1: <laughs> okay. Um, I guess we should probably get back to this movie. I did keep keep just writing Baloo and Khan in my notes, I guess, but yeah. I like Baloo and Ka though. I'm happy to see them in this movie. That's why I'm doing that. So it's it's out of out of charm. Yeah,
2: I, I have no ill will towards any aspect of this movie, which is absolutely rare for me. And I I understand all of it. And it ends on a good note. We can talk about the ending kind of being abrupt where the King just kind of shows up, right? Or the King doesn't even, I mean, he shows up at the very end, but the narrator just kind of pops in and it's like, oh, and then after all this happens, you know, the King comes in and he just sorted everything out and the end, everybody. And then it just kind of fades to the title and then the movie ends. But I kind of appreciated that in so many ways. Because cause my first instinct was like, really, you're just going to end right now? And I was like, eh, actually, I think this is like just around the right amount. Because if they wanted to go into any other little subplots, we would have been there for another
1: 20, 30,
2: 40 mm-hmm. minutes, right?
1: We would have been a Ridley Scott Robin Hood movie starring Russell Crowe. <laughs> <laughs> well,
2: and, and this is actually one of the things that I love about animation is because unlike those, a movie where there's like an eight-hour director's cut, I mean, it would be absolutely insane for Disney to produce an eight-hour movie and then trim it down to an hour and a half, right? Like it would, it would be people would would literally be dying uh, over the course of that animation process now uh, or any make, animation process.
1: We make eight-hour movies now. We just call it prestige TV, right? I mean, I'm basically yeah. what, and <laughs> I'm in the middle of an eight-hour Star Trek movie right now, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So. um yeah and yeah the, the king shows up and resolves everything i mean I, in a fairy tale i guess that makes sense but yeah you're like i don't know what, what were my notes here i had wayne's world fake out ending first okay yeah oh yeah there, there's a fire but nothing really resolved yeah i guess i wasn't will, really to willing to accept that the king showing up uh resolved anything i was doing a podcast on i don't remember what it was but um it, it was two myself and the other two guys on the bo- podcast were British. And um, it was right after the queen died, and uh, one of them was like, "Oh, wait a minute! If if the king leaves the country now, we got the nonsense charge." <laughs> <laughs> nonsense being being child titler <laughs> and then British Latin, English, English. <laughs> but yeah, now now I keep telling my mind like like I kept thinking watching this guy. I mean, I don't think he's doing that, but I was like, oh, he's a nonsense charge. He's the the half witted brother that's <laughs> it means
2: different things in different contexts,
1: it, right? Right, exactly. So, um, in that, I mean, I don't know if the king of England showing up is a good thing either, but in this movie, I guess it is. So, whatever, He's in a, in a
2: Disney way, it is. But yeah, I was thinking, you know, he showed up, he attacked your blood brother, he set fire to your castle, uh, I doubt, and stole all the gold out of the castle, which probably wasn't exactly his. And And honestly, it's not like it's not like the, you know, Prince John PJ would have been any better or worse than like a legitimate king that was still hoarding all this gold and had a golden throne and had, you know, all these nice clothes. It's, you know, it, he just happened to be acting a little bit more out of line, but the king, it seems like he would have been guilty of all the same things that Robin Hood would have been against at the same time. Like he still would have been stealing from the kingdom, right? Does he just stop stealing at this point? <laughs> what does he do now? You know?
1: Also, I, I guess I don't spell it out in this, but didn't he just come back from the Crusades doing God knows what? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Or God shouldn't know what? Yeah. <laughs> you
2: know, getting down with those Templar.
1: Right, right. And just you know setting villages on fire, or whatever. Only yeah, you know, the Crusades like, oh, what horrible things can happen there? And then send some kids, see what happens. And
2: and he also makes a little bit of a joke where he says, Oh, I've got an outlaw for an in-law. Ha ha ha. But, but I was thinking, like, yeah, but you've also got, like, a an inbred inmate as your blood brother. So, you know, who's really <laughs> the one that did the shit into that stick, no?
1: Yeah. Yeah, I mean, we, we do need to call out here. Uh, Scrooge McDuck would have been happy with that gold. He just swims around in it. He, he's fine, you know. I guess after I was just going on Illuminati ducktail adventures or whatever it is. He gets a
2: pass, <laughs> though, because he's got a catchier theme song
1: well but this is a pretty good theme song it's a good
2: theme song but it's it's not holding any sway over the earworm of ducktales there's no way that
1: that one just never leaves your mind ever that's a good point Um, i mean
2: this one has whistle stop which is one of my favorite songs ever just out in any context whistle stop which i think might even be part of that very first intro unless they're two different but similar songs
1: Oh, no, it's at, it's at the start or at least the theme is they might he might sing different words but
2: but yeah the the whistle stop song is just is it's always going to to be one of my absolute favorites
1: right on let's see oh, oh praise the lord tax rebates i'm buying a flat screen that's how i kind of felt when everyone gets out of their debtor's prison get some get some money <laughs> <laughs> i mean <laughs> I, I buy stupid stuff, so what can I say? I can, yeah. When I when you know when when the company's like, here's I have a here the bonus that you didn't expect, or something is, oh, that that probably means I'm buying a guitar. <laughs> so I get it. <laughs> Do you have any other uh rabbit holes in your notes you want to dive down? Um
2: I mean there's there's also some interesting relationships with robin hood and the green man which was this revival of like celtic or the the green knight rather sorry uh i don't know if you've seen that movie that came out recently green Knight.
1: i've been but told that, many times to go check it out but i have not yet
2: it's a thing it's a it's like a it's a whole thing that you'd have to sit down and like watch and pay attention to but that might be one of the original stories of where robin hood came from too which makes Robin Hood almost like this Celtic, um, like a, like a naturalist folklore story. Because again, whenever he retreats or his safe space is going off into the woods. And that's a recurring theme in every Robin Hood movie that I think we've probably ever seen, where that's his refuge. And that's where he has, that's where he harnesses his power. And then at the same time, the castle represents like human civilization and a separation from nature. So this whole dichotomy of, the, the bad versus the good or the poor versus the rich. It's also sort of like the naturalists versus like the civilized world and showing how he, he wants to take the benefits of the civilized world and like bring them back into nature. And it's, it's just like an interesting extra archetype that sits on top of this, this whole kind of thing, which also repeats itself in a lot of these Disney movies that we've watched a few times. Like Fox yeah, and right. the Hound was another one and a few others.
1: Sword in the Stone has that, you know, Merlin's out in the, uh, out in the boonies, um, Jungle Book, the village is civilization and the jungle is the jungle, yep. right? So, it is interesting, like, yeah, in the 60s and up to, this is 72 or 3, I think, Um, yeah, that it seems to be kind of like a, a leaf motif or whatever, you know? It's kind of, I'm sitting here thinking, Pinocchio is more of a series of vignettes, Dumbo is more like vignettes. Yeah, we kept talking about how the earlier ones were kind of like, oh, it's like, here's five shorts you could carve out of this movie, right? Whereas now it seems... To be using this this formula a little more, but yeah, yeah, it's not an obvious formula, I guess. So it's probably uh functional, you know, because you can com- completely this one has some very settings. strong
2: acts. I think they all do, though. So far, that all the movies have had some pretty except for
1: um bed sticks and and bore knobs, Brewed whatever the knobs. Hell. yeah, yeah, yeah. But that's not fully animated, so I don't know if that really uh fits in the milieu. <laughs> I mean, we obviously talked about so it fits that way, but yeah.
2: And then another interesting one too is that the rooster, I don't even know if they mention his name, but the rooster's name is Alan Adale, who was in the original story, one of the merry men in Robin Hood's little gang. That's the the troubadour guy. Um so I, I thought that was just interesting that that was a way that they sort of incorporated this and the act I mean the original symbolism of the rooster is pretty explicit. It's usually to mark the beginning of a new chapter or a new story. Um And here he is introducing this new story and he also comes in and wraps it up, which is obvious as a narrator, but it's just so appropriate that they use that symbolism of
1: the rooster to do that. I guess these are Greek chorus, more or less. It is interesting that it's just Robin Hood and, and um, uh, L- Little John or whatever. There, there are no merry animals to speak of, which I'm like, because I think at some point they were going to even title it Merry Men or something, but... I wonder if it was uh, something about, you know, just animation budget. (laughs) We don't want to have to animate like 10 people around Robin Hood all the time. (laughs) Uh, Maybe, but I also think that for as many characters as this
2: movie actually has, they all have really interesting, unique backstories and personalities and characters. Like, Like if you go to Bambi, right, you had Thumper and you had Bambi. And you had the skunk, but then there was also like a whole bunch of other rabbits that were just like faded into the background. This movie only has maybe three or four characters that fade into the background. You've got the rhinos, which there's just kind of like one that they multiply in the cell animation process, right? Um, and and honestly, the the rhino was also one of the the Reich favorite characters, which is maybe why they mm-hmm. made him like the the super bad guy, but but the rhinos is one that doesn't really have much beyond that. And then when they go to the archery competition, they're competing against three other people. There's like a pig, there's the turtles dad. Um, and then there's like some other nondescript character that don't have any lines and they don't necessarily have a lot of detail to them. But other than that, every other character, it stands out and they're, they're absolutely unique and they've got like interesting voices and everything. And I don't think you would have done that by adding a few extra merry men. And a certain point you know the the, the scenes start to burst a little bit not just budget wise but just you know too much going on on the screen too many people that need exposition
1: what well, seemed a lot of them like like you said with the with the rooster and with friday tuck they just moved them into town they just don't gallivant around with uh robin you know <laughs> which that, that i mean it made sense that way because then you don't have to explain like their relationship to
2: each other and all these interconnected and explain the whole issue of merry men uh, I don't know. I I love it. I don't have anything that usually I like to find little, little chinks in the armor here, but this one I I can't.
1: I have to bring up the elephants. It's not so much a chink in the armor. I mean, I I'm I'm usually just amusing observations, but <clears throat> I was thinking, man, they got like four elephant trumpeters on like that tower. I'm like, that tower is gonna crumble. <laughs> can't put four elef- elephants on a tower. <laughs>
2: Except in cartoons, right? Again, it's, that's the, cartoons, the, the yeah. fun part about the cartoon.
1: But that's the, logic, Of course, that's the fun which about. Which the same it. In, just... in comic logic. Yeah, I was just saying, they're like, how do you build that? Yeah. <laughs> how do you get them up there? That's impossible. Okay.
2: <laughs> that's, one, that's one of those Carthaginian tricks you got to know about.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, but I guess we'll get to wrapping up today, but uh, did you have any other final thoughts you want to throw on it other than this movie's awesome is definitely... Your recurring theme and i I mean i certainly have no complaints
2: (laughs) i love the movie but yeah i mean it just blew my mind my first intro to mind control cross-dressing government (laughs) corruption um fortune telling uh incantations don't like not snitching on your friends uh blood oaths just all of that i mean we're talking about a disney movie usually this is where one of those disney conspiracy podcast would start blowing up you know it's it's got mind control and it's got it literally has all of those things in it and they're not even like subtle right like the snake is actually mind controlling (laughs) the king within the first like five to ten minutes of the movie and it's such a normal occurrence that the king's like no 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 no, like not now right and the snake's like oh i was trying to help where (laughs) it's like oh like the king just regularly gets mind controlled by a snake that's kind of a cool concept i don't know i I don't know every (laughs) single aspect of it because it's not all veiled so then i don't know and on top of that the fact that there was no as you would call nonces that were involved in the direct (laughs) production of the movie definitely helped out a lot too yeah for sure I I don't want that to become like a new standard or anything because then I can't (laughs) watch any Roman Polanski movies or a whole bunch of other ones. (laughs) Um, But it it was just it's weird because people make those claims about Disney movies or like the stories they're based on so often and and you just you pass it off right? You write it off like you're you're just being like that. But then you look into the backstory and it's like oh I wish I didn't know that.
1: Yeah for me the most disturbing iteration I guess would be would would be i don't even like elmo but i guess i like you know it was like when kevin clash took his hit for doing horrible stuff after 30 years at elmo and it was like, that's pretty weird
2: i, <laughs> I mean, mean he, yeah
1: puppets on labyrinth you know it's like oh i, just, I don't like that <laughs> well, labyrinth I like labyrinth. Has some, dude
2: labyrinth has some sexual undertones to it oh yeah
1: we just oh um, I, I mean i, I just holy did a, cow i just did a podcast of, on that a few weeks ago and um uh, one of my co-hosts was saying when he was uh, maybe like in his early twenties, he watched it with the girlfriend, and she was like, "Yeah, we just we call all penises David, so we can say there's David's David." <laughs> <laughs> so.
2: It's dude, that that movie is so weird too. Because if you get even after you get over the fact that he's seducing this clearly underage girl, he also is like seducing a clearly underage baby, and like um, in any other context, right, a guy that is so obsessed with this little baby. I don't know. It's such a weird freaking movie, man.
1: Well, that's why I didn't get into David Bowie until the late 90s. I was terrified of him for years. (laughs) (laughs) You weren't wrong, man. He had a huge bulge
2: in that movie, too. They weren't, like, trying to hide anything. yeah, yeah. Yeah. (laughs)
1: Power of the um, Babe. I I do, um, I I think I kind of worked out what my track is on this movie. I'm sure I saw it a few times as a kid. And then in the late 80s, I taped the Errol Flynn one off of TV. And, you know, like in a 9, 10-year-old brain, it sort of like supplants. You know what I'm Mm -hmm. saying? Like you kind of forget the old one existed. I had the same problem with uh, Buck Rogers and and, uh, Logan's Run, where I was like, I like Logan's Run, but I feel like there's something missing. And then that would have been Buck Rogers. So maybe that's how it was like. I like the Cyril Flynn movie. But something seems not. Something seems slightly off, and it's probably like older memories of this movie, right? Probably. <laughs> yeah. So it, it is interesting how like in in developing, you know, you sometimes cross wires like that a little bit and figure it out many years later. Like, oh wow, I, those are two completely separate things that I kind of conflated as one thing in my head.
2: And I and I do have another final parting. Uh, thought on this one and maybe i'm wrong right but i didn't see any major sequels that ever came out of this movie especially considering how abruptly it ended do you know uh, have there been like robin hood two three four and five and everything
1: i don't believe so i mean they could have seen the 80s they had the gummy bears another earworm song right which that to me seemed like Like something about this movie didn't sit right with Disney. And I I don't know what it is. Maybe, maybe, you know, they burn out on this, on their hillbilly phase in their early 70s and just didn't want to go back there. (laughs) That could be it, honestly. But man, if any Disney movie
2: deserves a sequel, this is the one, not all of the ones that have gotten all the weird. See, no one needed 102 Dalmatians. If anything, Mm -hmm. we needed the actual sequel that was written where dogs fly out into outer space, and they talk about nuclear war, but we didn't get that one, right? We got a whole bunch of other weird sequels and direct-to-DVD type movies, but I don't know. This one deserved one.
1: Yeah, one of, one of my friends listened, and he, and he said the starlight barking actually made him angry. <laughs> Really <laughs> that's so much cooler than anything i w- ever would have imagined out of a sequel
2: and i really wish that disney would have made that version but i understand oh, oh, the, why the, they the, did not
1: the fun version of angry you know not like not just it like, you know, like you know oh my god why yeah <laughs> that, that version of angry <laughs> you know so it, it is the fun version of angry at least but um yeah, I, I know I have a photo with one of the characters from this, from Disneyland. So I at least have a few walkarounds of people from this movie, I think. <laughs> but it's been quite a while since. uh, Yeah, yeah, that that was 15 years ago. So, yeah, it does seem like a weirdly ignored property. Again, this is the first film they wanted to, they felt they could put out on home video because they're like, yeah, let's put that one out. You know, we still got the good ones in the vault. I'm and not, I'm not talking about your taste there. I'm talking about the attitude at the disney company
2: (laughs) how dare you sir
1: yeah yeah so i don't know and and i
2: know this one is this is sacrilege and i've mentioned this a few times before but usually when i watch these movies i'll watch them at like 2x or something uh if i really have to and this one i I didn't want to right i played it at, at 1x and i watched it at 1x but then i wanted to go back and take a few extra notes so i played it at 2x and let me tell you to the, to the booze of many, I'm sure. The movie might even be better at like 1.7 to 2x. The <laughs> songs are better. Like the cadence of everything is better. Every once in a while, if there's a character that talks particularly fast in a scene, you know, you can tell that it's a little bit faster than it should be. But other than that, I swear my brain switched over to a point where I accidentally walked away and came back and it started at 1x again and it felt like it was playing in slow mo <laughs> so i put it back on 2x and it was like man this is great i don't know if, if there if there's not a metric out there for movies that are good to watch at 2x maybe this would be a good example of where to start
1: i think yeah a lot of animation kind of work that way i think um especially older animation where you can't usually just...
2: where it breaks down to the songs though the songs tend to not work as well at 2x this one in particular, they worked great.
1: <laughs> <laughs> now they're hyper. I was going to joke, oh, I guess they should make a live action version of this. But it, in April 2020, it was reported that CG was developing a live action remake of Robin Hood. <laughs> Although that Is was that three true? years ago. That was three years okay, ago. So I hope that it, never I, happens. The same here. I was going to joke about it because there's so many live action versions. But that, of Robin that
2: taps Hood. into the conspiracy, right? That they just make an inferior crappy remake just to boost the numbers of the original and get people to fall in love with the original again and maybe then we get the second sequel that's animated that comes out so i've got faith that there might be some bigger illuminati style disney (laughs) plan behind all this
1: i don't even think that's a conspiracy man i think that's just a business plan
2: (laughs) i mean potato tomato (laughs) no
1: it's like um I, i i see the the live action current ones it's kind of like buying bonds right they're going to pay off later when the older <laughs> more current... bonds yeah yeah when the when the older <laughs> movie starts making make some more bank because people are reminded of it you know so that, i think that's the main purpose of these these live action ones is yeah basically like buying bonds i guess it's a creative way to buy bonds i just wish they had managed to make some better movies out of it <laughs>
2: But no, I, do it. I could do like a hip-hop robin hood if they wanted to remake it and throw like drake in there or something i think i could actually stomach most of it like the elvis like...
1: remake right <laughs> yeah, you could do like the uh the the save by the bell um snow white rap musical if you ever saw that that's one of the most i
2: haven't I'm now now i need to know
1: that's one of the cringiest things ever it's um it's it's well, one black person, at least a turtle. But uh the rest of well, actually Mar Park Gosler is, is not technically a white dude, but uh anyway, it's it's just the whitest thing you've ever seen. They got the, the every song in the musicals <laughs> <laughs> like they only have this one beat and it's just like oh your singing like
3: please no, please don't do this, don't do
1: this. <laughs> so
2: Top that. Top that. <laughs> right. Yeah,
1: yeah. Yeah. It's it's i I I'll see if I can find a clip for you for that. That's one of the one of the cringiest moments of film you'll you'll ever see. Well, a video. They don't shoot they didn't shoot that on film. <laughs> That'd be stupid. They shot the new one on film, I think. <laughs> but uh yeah, that that's one of my, my weird obsessions. Because I get home from school and, and watch it. So I, I see there there's a mind control. I some of my memories I can't tell if they were saved by the bell or high school now. So <laughs> I mean they also had little hypnotic swirls in
2: the intro to that show so you might not be completely off base here.
1: Yeah 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 they 90s early 90s design like hypnotizes you so, yeah. <laughs> it's when they put everything on the walls. I heard recently about um someone in the late 90s at a, at a mall in Pennsylvania, New Jersey, just you know locked the doors to the Burger King and left in the mid 90s and you know it was like a time capsule. Someone finally opened that door not long ago and found just like a Perfect condition, like 80s Burger King with all the insane, like you know, stylings on the wall and stuff. (laughs) That might just be the
2: cover story for an actual portal into the past.
1: Oh, yeah, 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 that'd be cool too. I don't think they're serving hamburgers anymore, though, so you could not get a Whopper, you know, because the place was closed. No, not in a proper Twilight Zone of course you'd get your Twilight Zone whopper so well they definitely
2: don't want anyone to see how big the whoppers used to be compared to today so they'd rather that just not
1: exist oh yeah that's a good point <laughs> um I guess we'll get uh, put the kibosh on this one today of course this is the occult Disney podcast uh, we are on Twitter. We're on Facebook. I just forgot to check the Facebook page. Okay, but we are on Facebook as call it call Disney. I checked the Twitter, so yeah, if anyone wants to say a howdy, do it there, I guess. Um, on Patreon, we do Podcastio, Podcastius, where you can support this and other podcasts, including the one I do about the Twilight Zone, Time Enough Podcast, and what else do I do? Oh, I was about to say I call it Disney, but well, that's this one. No, we're starting Films or Filth, where we're going to go over the top 100 and bottom 100 films as rated on imdb and decide if they are if it's a film or if it's filth so i mean i guess we kind of stack the deck but hey we're gonna find some films that are supposed to be terrible we love and probably vice versa so that's gonna be part of the the charm of it uh what's going on in your world it is actually th- this is tomorrow so you can be very up to date well that's good because i actually
2: somehow found uh, a domain you can go to nasacomic.com and sign up to get notified for when this uh this NASA book comes out. It stands for Never a Straight Answer, and it's about Stanley Kubrick directing the Moon landings. It's a full color, uh, more than I think it's like a forty eight page book here, and it's got all kinds of cool backstories about uh, Stanley Kubrick and moons, and it's got little like tidbits about Eyes Wide Shut and Clockwork Orange and just all kinds of if if you love Stanley Kubrick and if you like anything about the Moon landing theories. This is absolutely uh, a book that you would love. So you can go to nasacomic.com. This is basically a love letter to conspiracy theorists and Stanley Kubrick fans. Uh, And then uh, as soon as I get I think around like a hundred or so people that have clicked on notify me when this campaign launches, then I launch the campaign. So uh, as soon as I get enough interest, this one will be released and you can get a copy of it. That's at nasacomic.com.
1: Groovy. Okay, I guess I'm gonna go practice my archery. I did some archery as a kid. I wasn't very good at it, though. I did the most out. Florida thing ever. I've I've done um, uh, crossbow fishing. <laughs> That's what I haven't done And crossbow. I actually caught a fish. Oh, oh okay. That sounds weirdly satisfying maybe it
2: it's it was very it was it felt like the most florida thing that i've done in a very very long time cuz like it was like raining and i'm we're out on this like crappy little boat everyone's got like a thick robin hood accent you know a disney robin hood accent <laughs> and uh and i was the only one that actually snagged the fish but man it was just like this huge fish with just blood getting all over the place and it just it was a a great experience for everyone except for the fish <laughs>
0: New clothes. Who cares if it's winter time? If frost attacks the toes, would we'll declare freezing a crime. We bought the emperor's new chef. Who cares if the food's not safe? If we get sick of poison, we'll have the Waiters to strafe We bought the emperor's New maps Who cares if the pages Are blank If you say we don't belong, we'll correct you with a tank. We bought the emperor's new bed, who cares if dreams fall apart? If you have trouble sleeping, try a bullet through your heart. But the emperor's new clothes Who cares if it's winter time If frost attacks tacks toes We'll declare freezing a crime